This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. On January 18, 1958, a 22-year-old winger from Fredericton, New Brunswick, was called up to play in his first NHL game for the Bruins in Montreal. That night, Willie O'Ree became the first black player in NHL history. Willie, it's, I'm extremely uh, honored to have you on the show. You're a living legend and a uh, really special moment for us to have you on the show. So thank you very much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. You're being very gracious with your time. So you were the first black player in the NHL uh, and uh, a real trailblazer. And to start out with, uh, I have a hockey card in front of me that has the upper deck heroic inspirations and uh-huh. it says Willie O'Ree 60th anniversary. Oh, uh, I'm sure you've seen this card and yeah. I just like to have you maybe share what comes to mind when you see the card. Oh, well, um, I was, I was uh, very pleased and overwhelmed. You know, I've been working with, uh, with upper deck over the years and uh, doing some signings for them. And uh, I've signed uh, several cards, several uh, cards for them. But um, when I when I saw that one, I was it, it just I had this uh, just joyful feeling within myself when it said inspiration, and uh, um, I, I can't uh, you know I can't really uh, explain how I how I felt when I first saw the card. Uh, it was very very touching, and uh, uh, I'm very very pleased and very honored that uh, Upper Deck took the uh, took the time to produce this card. Yeah, and I know that uh, you're, the history you made is being very well known, but I just want to make sure all our listeners know that on January 18th, 1958, you made history by becoming the first black NHL player to play in the NHL. So this card really is symbolic of, of that history. And I know the card came out probably, uh, was it around the year 1990s or 2000? Can you tell us when it came out? Yes. Yes, it came out around that time. Yeah. So even more uh, meaningful, the fact that all those years had gone past and the fact that uh, you did get a rookie card. So I think that's really special. I want to move on then to that photo in the card. Do you remember where that that was taken? Uh, oh, my gosh. Yes, I have it here in front of me. Uh, it looks like you're sort of, uh, you, you skated forward and all this snow is, is uh, yes. in front of you. Yes. I think, I think it was in Boston. Okay. Boston Garden. The old Boston Garden. Okay. So can you tell us, do you remember collecting cards as a young person uh, or later on in your life? No, I never, I, I never did collect cards uh, for, for some reason. You know, um, I've had several, you know, cards sent to me to, you know, to be signed. Um, baseball cards and hockey cards and football cards and, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, growing up, I, I just... Um, I just never thought of, you know, just collecting hockey cards. That's interesting. Um, but I imagine growing up in the East Coast, especially with the Colored Hockey League, there were many players you were probably familiar with uh, either hearing about or watching when you grew up. Is that correct? Yeah, they played the Manny McIntyre and uh, Herbie and Ozzie Carnegie, you know, played uh, there and then uh, played up in up in Quebec, up in Sherbrooke. And then the, the three of them played together with the uh, Quebec Aces, I think this um, just two years uh, prior to my coming um, to Quebec to play with the Aces. Okay. So I want to just go uh, to this book. Uh, you wrote a book a few years ago in 2020 called Willie. And uh, I'm just yeah. going to read, I'm just going to read something here. It says it covers O'Ree's journey from the two story house. He grew up near the St. John river to his debut in the league during the birth of the civil rights movement to his 2018 induction into Hockey Hall of Fame. Over the course of his life, he experienced segregation in the United States, heard jeers from racist spectators, and shares of adulation 
when he scored his first of his four goals in the NHL at the Boston Garden. And then it says, in the book, I wanted people to know more about my hockey career. I wanted them to know what I'd be involved with. So um, looking at the book then and and taking us back to your early years, could you um, sort of comment on um, what life was like growing up in the Ori family household? Oh, well, it was a, it was, it was a two story home, 245 Charlotte street. And, um, there were only two, uh, uh, black families living, um, in the city of Fredericton on, on the outskirts, there were uh, many black families, but the, the Lawrence family who lived at 212 Charlotte street and the Array family, uh, lived at 245 on, on the same street. Um, I, g- growing up, it was, um, it was fun. I had, uh, uh, 95% of uh, my friends were 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 white, um, and uh, but I I had no problems. I mean, you know, we played baseball and I played I played street hockey and uh, played um, uh, volleyball and basketball in high school and you know so um, I just had a great time. My my parents, uh, my mom and dad were uh, were very um, uh, very concerned about. Uh, about my career and um, and my education, but uh, I just took it a day at a time. And uh, when I was 14, I decided I wanted to become a professional hockey player. And I asked myself, what do I need to do? Well, first of all, I needed to stay in school and get an education uh, because my, my mom and dad were very strict on keeping my grades up. So one thing uh, led to another and, you know, uh, I have to um, say that my older brother, Richard, uh, was my mentor, and uh, he taught me a lot of things that I, that I needed to know if I was going to pursue hockey as a career. Right. So I want to pick up a few other quotes from the book here. It says, um, when he was three, Willie started skiing on the frozen lawn in his backyard on two blocks of wood with metal blades attached to the bottom. At five, he began to. <laughs> at five, he began That's to play true. organized hockey. Yeah. He was twelve the first time a racial insult was hurled at him, and thirteen when he met Jackie Robinson during a trip to New York. So we'll get to this in a moment. But tell us about the skating on two blocks of wood. What was that like? Yeah, I um, we had a pretty good sized backyard, and uh, my dad would scrape it and then um, flood it, and you had an instant rink. And uh, I remember, I remember skating. Uh, with the two blocks and the um, the, the, the two two blades of um, of uh, steel that um, that I strapped on, you know, on the bottom of my feet. Um, it was later on, you know, when I when I um, after my my uh, my fifth year that uh, I got into a regular very regular skate and. I'm sure you had some fond memories of watching uh, Hockey Night in Canada growing up. Can you tell us what that was like? Oh, it was great. Saturday night, Foster Hewitt, uh, with the, who was the announcer with, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, uh, the whole family was uh, was glued to the radio and um, and listening to the uh, to the broadcast. I, I was a Montreal fan, you know, growing up. Um, in fact, my my whole family, my sister, my brothers, were all Montreal fans. Uh, I didn't become a Bruins fan until I went to their training camp in in, in 1957. Um, I became I became a, a a Bruins fan and and still am. Yeah, I guess part of the East Coast would be for Montreal and maybe part for Boston, maybe some Leaf fans back then. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, I had some very close friends that were were Toronto fans, and um, I used to I used to joke with them about you know getting into the playoffs um so it was a it, it was a it was a fun time growing up yeah so that says uh you didn't play in an indoor rink until you're 15 years old I, I i think kids couldn't imagine today playing outdoor hockey outdoors uh, until <laughs> 15 what was that like oh yeah it was, it was it was cold you know i played uh played a lot of pond hockey you know growing up but um, they had uh, they had four or five rinks um, that were operated by the city, which uh, which um, 
who were about 10 to 15 minutes walk from my home and uh, played um, all, our, all our hockey, you know, on these outdoor rinks. It would start snowing and then, you know, you'd scrape the snow off and then start the game again. But yeah, it was, um, it was, I was 15 when I, um, when I first played in an indoor rink. Yeah. Well, I think lots of people would love to turn the clock back and have lots more outdoor skating rinks. I know I, I grew up uh, for a few years in an outdoor rink, and then after that, everything was indoor for me. Um, so can you tell us which teams you played for growing up? Was there a, a rep team, or uh, did you move on to play for Fredericton High School, I heard? Um, maybe you can tell us the teams you well, played for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, I played um, you know, I played on, <clears throat> on you know, um, a phantom. And then I played on a midget a midget team, uh, a juvenile a juvenile team um, while I was there. And then uh, uh, when I was in high school, I uh, I um, tried out for the high school team and um, made the team. But um, due to a, a, an incident on the ice, um, I didn't uh, I didn't follow I didn't follow up to uh, continue playing with the high school team. What had happened was a uh, there was a practice, um, uh, high school practice, and uh, I I was uh, considered an aggressive hockey player. You know, I knew I was going to get body checked, and so I my brother taught me how to how to body check. And uh, this one this one practice, the, the coach of the high school team, his son played, and uh, the son came was coming down the ice, and I. Stepped into him with my shoulder, and he went into the boards and broke his collar, broke his collarbone. And um, the coach uh, said, "Well, we don't, we don't like that type of play." And um, so I, I didn't, uh, I didn't play for the high school um, anymore. And then the Freddie Capitals, the um, senior Capitals, who played in in the York Arena, the the, uh, the covered arena, asked me to come out and play. So I come out and. Uh, I made the team, and I, I played the two years with the Credit and Capitals before I, I left in 1954 to go up to go back to play my first year junior. You you and I have something in common. I read that you played Junior A Kitchener Canucks, and I played for the Junior B Kitchener Dutchman so many years oh, later. Right? So how how did you yeah? So how did you get from Halifax to landing all the way in Kitchener? Oh, oh gosh, let me see. Uh, Fred, Fredericton, sorry. Yeah. Fredericton well, uh, I went up. I went up and played in um, in Quebec with the Quebec Frontenacs. Uh, Phil Watson was the uh, was the coach. He he, he played in, with the New York Rangers in the forties. So I played that year, and then the next year I was traded to the uh, Montreal Canadian organization, and that's when I went to Kitchener, Ontario, to play with the Kitchener Waterloo Junior Canucks. So uh, I went and um, played that year, and then. Um, um, I left after that, that uh, second year. Okay. Yeah. And maybe you can just tell the listeners how that worked in terms of the property, the NHL team yeah. owned you owned players. So at what age were you owned by? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I, um, the Montreal Canadian, they, they, uh, Canadians, they, they owned, they owned my contract. That's the only team I could play for if I wanted to go and play uh, someplace else. I, I couldn't, unless I got the release from the, the Canadians. So um, I played uh, in Kitchener, and and then uh, got my that was my my last last junior year, and um, I went and uh, and played. Uh, that was in 1955. Um, then I went and played my second year with the uh, with the with the Quebec Frontenacs, and then I went to the Bruins training camp in 1957. Um, and, and then came back to Quebec and, and finished the, the 1957 year. And then in 1958, I went to the Bruins training camp again and then came back to Quebec and um, started to finish the season. And then in, uh, on January the 18th, uh, 1958, uh, the Bruins called me up and I went up to Montreal and uh, stepped on the ice of the old Montreal Forum and became the, the first black player to play in the NHL. That's right. So I also want to give um, recognition to the fact that you were an overall talented athlete and um, you were a good shortstop and second 
baseman that drew interest from scouts for the Milwaukee Braves and invited you to a camp in 1956 in uh, Georgia. I, I, I think that was quite an experience. You'd like to let us know how that all went. And then uh, maybe uh, after you can talk about your connection with Jackie Robinson. Yeah, well, I, I was considered a, a pretty good ball player. I played shortstop and second base, and I had played for the Fredericton Tigers, um, a senior team in Fredericton uh, for uh, for a year. And then the Marysville Royals uh, offered me a contract to come and play with the with the Marysville Royals, and um, I played with played with them in in 19, 1950, uh, 50, 50, 56. and um, I got scouted. By um, two scouts from the Milwaukee Braves mining operations came and invited me to go to Waycross, Georgia, to a training camp. Well, I I knew and heard about how black people were treated in the South, and I talked to my mom and dad, and they said, "No, definitely no, uh, we don't want you to go." To go. Then I talked to my older brother, who was a again, I mentioned my mentor, and he said, "Well, how do you feel, Willie? How do you feel inside?" I said, "Willie." Well, I, I feel like I'd, I'd like to go for the experience. He says, well, then, then go. So I flew into Atlanta and uh, stepped off the plane, uh, walked into the um, Atlanta uh, terminal, and the first thing I saw was white only and colored only signs. So I went into the colored restroom, and I had to stay in Atlanta overnight, and uh, they had no um, reservations for me. So I... Uh, I contacted a black cab driver uh, out in front of the terminal, and I explained my situation. I said, I have to stay here overnight. Would you recommend a hotel? So he took me to an all-black neighborhood, nice little um, hotel. I stayed there. Then I got on the bus the next morning and uh, drove to Waycross. It was around a two, two-and-a-half-hour drive. I uh, was assigned a dorm with uh, some other black and players of color. I uh, was issued a uniform. Uh, the next day, started started practicing, and it started to go through my mind. I don't know what am I doing here. I I, I made the wrong decision. I should have stayed. And, and so the first week went by, and I was still there. And um, on on your dorm, there'd be a, a bulletin board, and if your name appear, appeared on this bulletin board, that means you were going to be sent home. So I was there the first year, and then going into this uh, first uh, first week, pardon me. Going into the second week, and then uh, uh, he saw my name on the list, and I went in to the office, and they said, Mr. O'Ree, we were, we were impressed with your play. With, we think you need a little more seasoning, so we're going to send you back home. So I got on the bus, and I was five days on the bus, and naturally, blacks had to sit on the back of the bus. So we sat on the back of the bus, and we're rambling up through, up through the different states. And as we're getting closer up north, I started moving up on the bus. Um, sat, I was sitting in the, the uh, middle of the bus and I got up to Bangor, Maine and I'm sitting in the front of the bus and then uh, two and a half hour drive to my hometown I arrived in Fredericton, I stepped off the bus and said, Willie, forget about baseball concentrate on hockey yeah. and that's, yeah. that's when my that's when my hockey career started Yeah, and it's something because uh, you know, obviously you would have had some issues with racism in the uh, in Canada, we can't say there wasn't any that, but that would be just uh, just uh, shocking for you to go through that experience. How how uh, how impactful that would have been. Um, it's yeah, it was uh, it was rough. Uh, you know, it wasn't as bad in Canada as it was when I came to the United States. You know, uh, I I knew I was a black player, and especially you know playing. Uh, in the National Hockey League, uh, uh, with the six teams, the original six, you know, Toronto, Toronto and Montreal, and then Chicago, Boston, New York, and Detroit. And um, New York and, and Chicago were were the worst, where I had the the most most problems. Um, the calls from uh, fans, uh, racial remarks from the players on the ice and player and uh, fans in the stands. But I had closed my ears to it. My my brother. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank God for my brother. He said, "Well, you forget about forget about all the races. If people can't accept you for the individual that you are, then don't worry about it. That's their problem." And uh, I fought a lot. I fought because I had to, not because I wanted to. The guys just wanted to see what I was made of. And 
they wouldn't drop their stick, so I wouldn't drop mine. They'd drop their gloves, I'd drop mine. And but uh, it took quite a while, but I, I, um, I gained the respect of not only the players on the opposition, but fans in the stand. But it, it took quite a while, and you know, I, I was able to play pro for 21 years, so yeah. uh, I considered myself very fortunate. Yeah, you certainly uh, more than paved your way in terms of all the things that you. Uh, had to persevere through. So could I shift back also to the Jackie Robinson? Because obviously you would have been aware from that experience in the U.S. what he would have went through day in, day out um, uh, to become a player. But I understand because of this camp you're invited to, you got a chance to meet him. Could could you elaborate on that yeah. experience? Yeah. yeah, I was I was 14, and uh, I was playing baseball in my hometown. We won the championship. Uh, that year, the reward was that our team was going to be taken to New York to um, to see all the uh, tourist attractions, uh, Radio Music City Hall and Pony Island and the Statue of Liberty and um, and everything. And I I met Mr. Robinson um, in 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 um, in Boston. Um, met him after the after the game. I went down to the dugouts and shook hands with him, and I told Mr. Robinson that I not only played baseball, but I, I played hockey, and he didn't realize that there were any black kids playing uh, hockey at that time. And I said, yes, Mr. Robinson, there's a few. So um, we talked for another two or three minutes, and then there's other media people there. So I left, and then that was my first that was my first meeting with Mr. Robinson. And then I, I met him uh, again in 1962 when I was playing in Los Angeles with the Los Angeles Blades, the team that was playing in the Western Hot League. 1962, the NAACP had a luncheon for Mr. Robinson at one of the local um, hotels in Beverly Hills. I received an invitation through the, through the hockey club. So there was the, um, the coach and uh, myself and two other players went to the luncheon. And uh, Mr. Robinson was standing offside talking to some medium people. And so when he finished, the coach come over and said, Mr. Robinson, I'd like to introduce you to three of the local hockey players here, especially Willie O'Ree, who uh, was newly acquired from a team um, back in back east. And Mr. Robinson turned and looked at me and he, he says, Willie O'Ree, he says, aren't you the young fellow I met in, in, in Boston? And I, I mean, I was in awe to remember me. So of all the hundreds, thousands of people that he'd met over the years, he remembered me. And we talked and he says, oh, it looks like you you uh, found your your career. And I said, yeah, I said, I've been playing, I've been playing pro hockey now for two years. And it was just it was just a wonderful, wonderful second meeting. And uh, I was uh, I was so impressed, um, you know, uh, talking to him and. Uh, that's such a special and, uh, moment. You know, being in a... Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, did you also say to him when you've met the first time that you were hoping to break the color barrier for hockey players? No, I didn't. I didn't mention it. No. I, I mean, uh, you know, I... Um, you had it in your mind, I, I wanted guess. to... <laughs> yeah. I, I had set two goals for myself, to play pro hockey and hopefully one day play in the National Hockey League. And you know when I when I turned pro in 1956, that was my that was my uh, my my first um, that I had, and then um, yeah, and then even uh, when I played my first year junior, Phil Phil Watson said, "Well, he says there hasn't been a black player in the in the National League," and he says, "You you've got all the makings." He says, "You're skating, you're shooting, you know the the type of individual uh, player that you are." But it kind of went in one ear and out the other because I was more concerned about just playing for the Quebec Aces and, and, and you know, um, making sure I, I, I played well. And then my second in my second junior year, um, Black Jack Stewart was the coach. And he told me the same thing that Punch told me. He said, well, he says there hasn't been a, a black player in the league. And I knew that there were black players playing, you know, the, the Carnegie's and uh, Manny McIntyre. And, you know, on white and, and uh, again, it kind of went in one ear and out the other. But, um, and then when I, I went to, uh, um, when I was playing in 1958 or 57, 
and I went to the Bruins training camp in 57. Then it's, it, it kind of just dawned on me. He said, yeah, there, I think there could be the possibility that that I could become the first black player in the, in the National Hockey League. Sure. I just think that's so unique with the experience you had there meeting Jackie Robinson, then you become the first black player oh, God. in the NHL. Uh, I'll tell you, what an honor. I mean, uh, and what a, what a beautiful human being. Uh, you know, he was uh, very gracious and, uh, you know, um, I was, I, I was, I was so, uh, so happy and, and uh, was overwhelmed that, that I got the chance to meet him, not only, not, not once, but twice. I was playing uh, uh, with the Kitchener Wanlu Junior Canucks, and uh, um, an unfortunate accident. Uh, I'm in front of the net for a deflection. Um, my uh, my defenseman Ken Douglas, I'll never forget it. Big burly um, defenseman. One he played with the Toronto Maple Leafs later on, but he slapped. He had a wicked slap shot, and he slapped the puck and it ricocheted off a off a stick. And I'm in front of the net for a deflection, and the puck come up and um, hit me uh, over the right eye, broke my nose, broke part of my cheek, and I remember dropping down to the ice. The next thing I I know, I'm placed in an ambulance and then taken to uh, taken to the hospital. Um, Doctor Henderson uh, was the surgeon, and I'll never forget what he said. Um, when I arrived, uh, when I was in my uh, recovery room, he, he came in and said, Mr. Ray, I'm sorry to inform you, but the impact of the puck completely shattered the retina in your right eye. And he says, you're going to be blind and you won't be able to play hockey again. Well, I kind of slumped back in my hospital bed and the goals and dreams that I had set for myself uh, seemingly were gone. And uh, I remember getting out of the hospital in the next few days and uh, within the next uh, four or five weeks, I'm back, I'm back on the ice skating and practicing. Now, I'm a left-hand shot playing left wing, so to compensate, I had to turn my head all the way around to the right to look over my right shoulder to pick up the puck and the play. And I was over skating the puck and missing the net, and I said, Willie, what's wrong? So I just said, uh, Willie, forget about what you can't see and concentrate on what you can see. So uh, the season ends. I go back to my hometown, Fredericton. Um, when I started back playing, my parents thought that I'd recovered from my injury, but I was totally blind in my right right eye. But I told my sister, but I said, sis, don't say anything, because if they find out I'm blind, I won't be able to play pro hockey. So, uh, you know, my, my parents were very, very happy that I was um, I was okay and, and, you know, recovered from my injury. But you couldn't tell by looking at my eye, but I was just blind. So um, I, get a, I get a letter from Punch Amlack. And the coach of the Quebec Aces invited me to training camp. And um, I told my mom and dad, um, I'm going to Quebec, Quebec City to try out for the Quebec Aces. So I go up and I, I try out and I make the team, but I, don't, I, I didn't disclose the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't see it on my right eye. I said, if, if I can make the team with one, I just don't say anything. So I played that year and uh, we won the championship. We won the, the Duke of Edinburgh trophy. It's, it's like winning the, the Stanley Cup. And I was so happy and so pleased. My first year, my first year pro, I uh, I'm on a championship team. So I go back and spend the uh, spend the summer, and then I came uh, came back to the Quebec Aces. My you know the second year, and then Bruins uh, training camp, and then from then on. But um, yeah, I played I played pro uh, 21 years with one eye. And a lot of people say, well, that's impossible. Well. In a way, it is, but you know, when you set your mind to do something, you know, when you feel so strongly within your heart and within your mind that you you can do it, then you just go out and do it. And basically, that's what I did. I I forgot about being blinded. Then just incredible that you uh, that uh, that's just another barrier you broke through in terms of that could be perceived as a limitation for some people, but uh, you were just you just persevered right through it to get to your goal. Yeah, and then uh, in nineteen uh, in nineteen fifty uh, fifty uh, in nineteen sixty five, um, 
was 1965, I came to Quebec. Yeah. I came to uh, Los Angeles to play with the uh, Los Angeles Blades, and uh, Alfie Pike was the coach. And he said, Willie, have you ever played uh, right wing? I said, no. He says, sure. He says, I got seven or eight left wingers here. And he says, I got one right winger. He said, I'd like to try you on right wing. Well, I'm a left-hand shot. And, and he says, it, it, just just try it. I can use your speed on the right side. So I will switch over to right, uh, the right wing. And, you know, I work skating down the ice. The boards are to my right. You know, don't have to worry about that. And skating down and it only took about six games, and then and I, I just kind of, I kind of liked it, and that's when I scored my, my, uh, my thirty-eight goals to win the goal scoring that first year, um, and I switched over to, to the right side. And I uh, so it worked to your advantage. Yeah, and I told myself I would have, I, I should have switched over a few years ago, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I played there, and then I came to San Diego in, in nineteen sixty-seven. Uh, punch him, uh, not punch him, uh, Max McNabb and um, Bob Reitbart, who was the uh, owner and founder of the sports arena, uh, the San Diego Gold, acquired my contract and um, came down and played um, eight years with the uh, San Diego Gulls and won the goal scoring again in 19, 1969. Yeah. I want to just go back. Um... So our listeners can hear, um, if you just turn back to 1958, January 18th, 1958. Yes. And um, could you tell us about your uh, your experiences leading up when you first were, were uh, found out you'd be playing that game? Yeah. Um, and then talk about the game itself? Yeah, I got, uh, I got, I got the initial call. Um, and I, I arrived in, I arrived in, uh, in Montreal. And you had been playing for Quebec, Quebec Aces before that, right? Yes. So you got the call yes. up from Quebec Aces, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I arrived in Montreal, and I was met by Milt Schmidt, the coach, and uh, Lynn Patrick, who was the general manager. And they uh, they sat me down before the game and said, Willie, uh, we brought you up because we think you could add a little something to the uh, to the team. He says, don't worry about anything. Of Just go out and play your game. And uh, so I went out, you know, <clears throat> I wore number, I was given number uh, 18. That was the number I was given. Um, and I go out and we were fortunate to beat Canadians 3 nothing. We sat them out. It was a Saturday night in in Montreal. And I never got a goal and uh, assist. But just to beat the Montreal Canadians in Montreal on a Saturday night was just uh, a feat in itself. And um, yeah. I didn't have much time after the, after the game because we were getting on the train to go to Boston to play the Canadian in uh, in Boston on 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 Sunday If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So then um, the newspaper stories and after the fact about recognizing your first black player, um, it didn't happen immediately, did it? There was no, there was no big deal made about it. Um, you know, I read it, just read in the paper. Uh, Ori, uh, Ori was, you know, brought up um, from the um, Quebec Aces, uh, you know, Played two games against the uh, against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, there is some uh, media footage showing you in an interview, black and white. Is that from that that year, nineteen fifty eight, or is it from a from your nineteen sixty season? Um, well, I mean, what what did it say? Um, I think you're you're shown on camera being interviewed. It looked it looked like it was Hockey Night in Canada footage. I've oh, seen. it was probably yeah, yeah. It was um, it was when I was. Uh, um, Playing with the with the Bruins, it was yeah okay. So I see uh, that you played those two games, and did you ever did you think you'd stay? You return in the nineteen sixty season sixty sixty one, and in that season no, I, you played forty three games. Yeah, right. I only uh, yeah I only knew that I was just brought up for the two games. Yeah, they told me we we're yeah. bringing you up. There was there was uh, 
you know, a couple of players injured. He says, we're bringing up for the two games. And then, you know, after the, the, the second game in Montreal, in uh, Boston, I go back to, you know, I go back to Quebec and, uh, and uh, finished, uh, finished the year, finished the year. Of- but it's remarkable. But it's remarkable that you return in 1960, play 43 games. So when you finished those two games, did did you ever think you would make it back to the NHL? Well, I I kept my fingers crossed, uh, you know. But I said, I gosh, I only played two games. I I don't know if I'd be able to, if I was going to be called called up again. But uh, you know, I kept my fingers crossed, and I just kept on playing. And then all of a sudden, I get the call, and uh, I come back up and uh, you know played uh, played. Uh, in the 60 and 61. And as you said, they played the, played 43 games, played a total of 45 games um, okay. in, the, in the National Hockey League. That's right. Yeah, it's remarkable. So then can you tell the listeners about your experience scoring your first NHL goal, where that happened and how did you feel? Oh, it was uh, January the 1st, uh, 1961. It was in the, uh, uh, the Boston Gardens, the old Boston Gardens. We're playing against the Montreal Canadiens. And we're warming up, and um, Jacques Plante was hurt, uh, the uh, Canadians' uh, number one goalie. And um, they had their uh, – Charlie Hodge, they had their backup goalie playing. And as we're warming up, Bronco Horvath, one of my teammates, he says, Willie, he says, if you ever get in on, on Hodge, kick the puck low. He, he's, he's, he's weak. Keep it away from his glove. So we're warming up, you know, game starts. And we – and uh, I'm on on the ice. This is the uh, third period. Um, I'm playing uh, playing left wing, and uh, I break away from my check, and I'm busting down the left wing. And Leo Voivin, uh, one of the Bruins' uh, top defensemen, just hit me with a perfect pass. I didn't have to break stride or anything. I get the puck, and I go in and go around the two defensemen. Now I go in, and here's Hodge. I see him, so I go in, and I made a. All of a sudden, I could hear this voice in the back, Willie, low, keep it low, keep it low. So I went and made a, a couple of moves on Hodge, and I, I shot the puck. It was either just off the ice or on the ice, hit the inside of the post, went in. That made it um, 3-1 um, for, for Boston. And then uh, about uh, five minutes later, uh, Henri, the pocket rocket, uh, scored, uh, made it 3-2. But the goal that I scored became the winning goal, and uh, we beat Canadians 3-2. And were the fans cheering for you? Did they understand the special moment? Oh yeah, they gave me. They gave me. Yeah, they gave me over a two-minute standing ovation. Yeah, I was. I was so, uh, so happy. <laughs> you know, and that was that was my that was my first goal. And did I, you keep that puck? Is that something you did back then, or? Uh... Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I did. That that's something. And then, um, are there any other special memories from the NHL? Experiences that you wanted to uh, highlight for us? I was very fortunate, very fortunate to, to play with a, a number of uh, you know good guys, good hockey players, and you know they they accepted me as, as just another player. They you know they didn't look at me as a black player or a brown player, just another player. Um, I was I was really blessed to, to have the opportunity to, to play with so many um, good hockey players and and uh, good coaches that uh, that helped me along the way and uh, again my older brother i don't i don't think i would have played as long as i did if it hadn't have been for my brother and his confidence in, in me and the the things that he taught me and and uh, the things that i um i learned from playing and uh, i use them in my yeah. you know my daily life so uh and were there any was there anything about the hockey arenas that stand out from you from the experiences you played in the uh, Chicago Stadium? The... Well, I like I, I liked big arenas. You know, back then Edmonton had a, a, a yeah. big big ice surface, and you know I could really motor. And and then the other ones are regulation size, but um, I just uh, once I once I started started playing pro, I, I just geared myself to be the best player I could be and, and to represent the hockey club to the best of my ability. Do you recall any family members seeing any of your games, Willie? Um, I, yeah, my sister, I had, 
I had some uh, nieces that lived in Montreal, and they would go to the games. I'd get them tickets to go to the games when I was in Montreal. Um, I had a, a cousin that I lived with in Boston um, that that went to that went to see me play. But um, you know, it's just uh, there, were only, there were only six. There were only, as I said, six ranks in the NHL at that time, and um, I enjoyed playing um, in Montreal. They had good ice. Um, um, Toronto, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, also. Yeah. So, um, as you said, you had a very long career playing pro hockey, uh, minor pro hockey, up until 1978-79. So you you leave the uh, Bruins in. Uh, 1961 and then continue playing on for almost 20 other years. And you're playing for uh, uh, teams like the uh, Hall Ottawa Canadians, the Los Angeles blades, San Diego goals. If you mentioned that your I think your numbers retired there, the uh, new Haven Knight, San Diego goals, San Diego charms. Yeah. So, uh, and, and really, really high point totals, right? Like, uh, you know, 57, points in 54 games in 1961 with the blades and 41 points, 45, 75, real, real high scoring. Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate to, to, to play uh, with some of the um, great coaches that, that, that coached in the, uh, you know, in the American hockey league and the Western hockey league and in the NHL. And, you know, when I went to, went to new Haven to play uh, with the new Haven Nighthawks, uh, uh, Parker McDonald found out that I wasn't playing in San Diego, and uh, I was practicing but not playing. I wasn't hurt or anything. I just uh, just couldn't get into the lineup. So he had called me three or four times and wanted me to come back and play in the <laughs> in the American Hockey League. And I knew the the players back there rode the bus for ten, twelve, fourteen hours. And uh, here in San Diego, we would the only time we'd take a bus is to to go to the airport and jump on a plane. So I said, yeah. So I said, Parker, I, I really appreciate um, that you want me to come, but um, I'm just going to uh, keep keep practicing and hopefully get back in the lineup. And he said, well, I mean, uh, if you're worried about getting on the ice, he says, you'll have all the ice time you want. And so I said, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate it. He says, well, listen, he says, just think about it and I'll give you a, a call back in a couple of days. So he called me back and uh, after, after thinking about it, I says, okay. So, uh, you know, I come to New Haven and I was treated real well. I mean, uh, ice time, I was, uh, you know, killing penalties and on the power play. And, and um, I was, I was only there and I was thinking I was, when I left San Diego, I was going to, stay there and play and they get into the playoffs, you know, help them uh, in the playoffs. But San Diego got into the playoffs and uh, Paul Parker said, we want to reback. Um, so I, I leave, I leave there and come back to San Diego and we're, uh, we're playing uh, the Phoenix Roadrunners in the first round. And we, uh, we, we beat them out and then we play off against the, uh, Portland Buckaroos, and they beat us. They beat us out in seven games. But uh, I had a good time, and uh, I, I think I scored 20, 25 goals when I when I went back there. And just uh, and I thanked Parker and um, thanked the you know had had a good time with the, the players that were playing at that time. And you know that was a time for expansion for hockey as you got into the nineteen seventies. The NHL was expanding and. Prior to that, yeah. in the 1960s, would there be much of a pay difference between the Quebec Senior League and NHL? Uh, well, when I was uh, let's see, when I turned when I turned pro with the Quebec with the Quebec Aces, my basic salary was thirty five hundred dollars. This was nine. This was 56 and I got five hundred dollars for signing. So my my contract was uh, four thousand dollars. And um, I had I had a couple of bonuses that weren't not a lot of money, um, but then I you know um, then when I I went up with the Bruins um, I made nine thousand dollars that that was my salary um, and and then from then on you know I 
the different teams that I went to than uh, my salary. But the most the most money I the most money I ever made playing professional hockey was in San Diego, and the last year I played was in 19, 1980. I played with the San Diego Hawks in the Pacific Coast League, and I um, my basic salary was fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, I I, I I have heard from a number of people that um, the the other leagues weren't that much different than NHL in the earlier years. Um, and I guess there's no, there are never really any guarantees in terms of if you get injured or whatever, you know, you, you had to take that into consideration. So you, so you have this uh, celebrated career, you're living in San Diego in California as of uh, the 1960s, I guess you're, you're not turning back to, to anywhere other than the West coast. And then Brian McBride, um, is the diversity uh, official with NHL and he tracks you down. Can you yeah. tell us what happened yes, after did. his interaction with you? Uh, well, when I retired from hockey, I wanted to get, get back into hockey in some capacity, either doing some, uh, some coaching, doing some scouting. Um, I knew probably uh, my playing days were over, but I still felt that I had something to give back to the game the amount of years that I played, and uh, um, I was hoping I could get back into uh, uh, doing some youth development work. So, um, when I retired, I had I had four or five jobs. After I retired, I, I worked uh, construction for a buddy of mine who owned a construction company for two or three years. Um, then I knew a, a friend of mine that was working in a um, in, in a um, car dealership, uh, John Hine Pontiac here in, in San Diego. And uh, he said, Willie says, uh, why don't you go down to it? They're looking for sales. I said, well, I don't know anything about selling cars. He said, oh, no. And he said, you, you can go down to the phone and, you know, it's a piece of cake. So I, I went down and filled out this application. And I, I started selling cars in the used, used car to, uh, sales. Sales lot. And uh, I carried four or five Toll signs in my pocket, you know, and the people that would walk onto the lot, and we had an up, we had an up service. If you were the third person, and then you'd you'd get the third customer that would come on the property. It worked like that. So you come in, you you ask, and you you know, do you have a trade in? Yeah. What kind of vehicle are you looking for? How much do you uh, would like to pay? You know, all the all the questions you would ask, and if you didn't think you were getting along. The customer, you turn him to another salesman. He says, well, I, I think the salesman could give you a little more information than, than I could. So you turn him to that person. So I worked there for um, two years. And uh, one of my good friends that I worked with, Mike Gore, uh, his dad was Bill Gore, the, uh, the um, sheriff's department here in San Diego. And Mike and I got along really well. His dad owned a security company. And he said, well, I'm going to work for my dad. He said, I'd like you to come and work as a security officer. I said, well, I don't understand about security. He said, oh, no. He says, you take an exam through the, uh, write an exam through the state of California. And if you pass, then you can work as a security guard. So I did that and uh, started there. I was there for 15 years. And then they had a cutback. And um, so I left. And I went on unemployment for about three weeks. And then I get a call from uh, from a buddy of mine that uh, worked over at the Hotel Dell. It's a um, historical um, hotel over in Coronado Island. So I went over there and um, started working there. Started on the graveyard shift and then the swing shift and then day shift. And I was working the day shift and I get a, I get a call. Um, from the San Diego Gulls saying that um, there's a gentleman by the name of Brian McBride uh, called the office, but we didn't uh, think that we should give your phone number. So gave gave his phone number and I uh, I called him and he said, oh yeah, he said, uh, well, he says, it's Brian McBride. I'm the newly appointed vice president of the NHL's diversity program that has to do with uh, working with kids and um, helping kids grow in hockey. So um, 
I was kind of a little hesitant, and uh, she says, Brian McBride. So, so anyway, um, I says, let me think. Let me think about it. So I thought, but you know, just moving back when he when he tried to get in touch with me, they wouldn't give him their phone number, and he knew he knew a couple of FBI gentlemen in the San Diego area. Brian did, and he called him, and he says, I'm trying to get in touch with Willie O'Ree. I know he's in the San Diego area, and I was hoping uh, maybe you could help me. So uh, three or four hours later, <laughs> I get this call, but it was Brian that called the FBI, and the FBI found out that I was over at the Hotel Dell. So anyway, to make a long story short, I said, um, yeah, it's something that I'd be interested in, working with kids and uh, um, helping kids uh, set goals for themselves and work towards their goals, so on and so forth. And, I says, but I can't, I can't move to New, to New York. He says, no, no, you can work right out of your home in San Diego. So um, it's been 25 years since, uh, you know, I started with the, with the NHL. And it was the NHL diversity program. Now it's the hockey's reverend program. Uh, I, I, did you ever think that was going to happen after you retired? <laughs> no, no. I mean, a, a door would open, a door would close, a door would open. And I really didn't want to leave San Diego, you know, because it's, it's, I fell in love with the climate. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, but anyway, it, it worked out. It, it worked out great. I, I, as I said, I, I've been blessed over the years and, uh, um, and then, and then coming aboard. And, so, uh, so over, you know, so over those uh, 20 years or so, you had a tremendous impact on so many um, young players and uh, particularly young players of color. And then you eventually got inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder in 2018. Mm-hmm. Can you give some examples of some of the neat uh, programs and initiatives you're involved with in terms of uh, touching the lives of, of children? Well, my, my um, basic duties was um, when I was hired was to travel around to the local schools, uh, boys and girls clubs, uh, juvenile detention facilities, YMYWCAs, and I, I travel all over North America, you know, uh, speaking at schools, um, you know, and telling boys and girls about, about my experiences and, and uh, never give up. If you, if you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you're right. And there's a lot of truth to that. And if you, if you feel strongly within your heart, within your mind that you want to do something, then don't hesitate and then do it because probably you would regret it if you, if you didn't, and it it worked out good. I was I was so busy traveling, you know. Um, I'd be gone, you know, I'd be gone for you know a couple of weeks, traveling around to you know different cities. Um, I did a lot of uh, hockey clinics uh, over the years, um, and as you mentioned, I I just helped a lot of boys and girls set goals for themselves and, and work towards their goals and um, their school. Um, talking about Staying in school and being being all that you can be, uh, believing in yourself and goal setting uh, is very important and it's uh, and it's true. You know, you, um, I never thought that I'd have so much fun uh, working in a job. And it's you know, my dad said, "Will you find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life?" And there's you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Find something that you really enjoy doing. If it doesn't seem like a job, I mean, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, whatever. And then you you wake up for the next day and you, and you know something something new is going to happen and that's basically what it, very, what my life has been very very true and also uh, Willie at the time you're coming out and, and mentoring some young NHL players as well and players that just followed after you so could you uh, could you touch on some of the players you've met and had relationship that that were black NHL players. Uh, well, you know, I met I met uh, you know Tony McKechnie on on several occasions. Um, 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 oh, there's a, thinking about uh, uh, even Jerome McGinley uh, and maybe Grant Fear. Jerome, and, yes, I've met Jerome yeah. Jerome McGinley. You know, um, Kevin Weeks, uh, Ensign Carter, um, and and when I met um, I met uh, Jerome McGinley. I was invited to his uh, training camp in uh, his school in Calgary, and um, I went and uh, met some great kids. 
but uh, what really, what really um, just kind of blew my mind is when I met Jerome, he said, well, he says, uh, I can't imagine what you had to go through um, in your playing days uh, to make it possible for guys like me to play. And he says, I'm not only, I'm not only uh, honored to meet you, but he says, I'm, I'm overwhelmed uh, on what you've accomplished and, and uh, how you made the game uh, important to me. And I mean, I, I, when you hear that from, you know, guys playing in the NHL and, you know, and making millions of dollars, it just kind of just sets with you. But it's, uh, it's not only the fact the black players, but the players of color also that I've met that, that is, uh, you know, and they're there because they have the skills and the ability to play and play. They're not there because of their, their color. I mean, it's been proven. Um, when you, you know, turn on the TV and you watch them there, they're just great athletes and playing a sport that they really, they really love and enjoy. Yeah. And one, one of the things we're um, proud of doing this podcast is um, the partnership we have with, uh, eBay and we connected with Anthony Stewart. I know another person you've met. I think there's a photo of you, uh, the draft in, and uh, they made a corporate donation to uh, his organization that's called Hockey Equality. And it's breaking down barriers for uh, equity deserving groups. So, um, you know, a number of players we've had on, they've all talked about their experiences growing up and how it was just the love for getting on the rink and the accessibility and, that's a concern of mine and a concern of many people. And obviously your journeys across the U S and parts of Canada in terms of your program would have worked on opening up the doors. But um, I want to ask you two questions then is, is um, I, I think we're on the right path in terms of just accessing the game for all. And uh, do, do, I don't know if you have some suggestions or advice in terms of, how we can continue to um, make sure there's no barriers for, for uh, young, young people. Well, you know, they're, they're building more rinks now, which gives the, um, the access for these boys and girls, uh, you know, to get on the ice and, and, and practice and, and, and play. Um, I know that, you know, the clinics that I've, that, that I've conducted, the one, the one thing that I'm, I'm so happy uh, about is that I never had a boy or girl come up to me and say, oh, Mr. Ree, I, I don't like this. Uh, I'm never coming back. So if you can keep them interested in in, uh, in playing and helping them set goals for themselves and tell them, you know, you can be anything you, you want to be, you know. Uh, and as I mentioned, you know, the dog, when the doctor told me I, I'll never play hockey again because uh, I was blind. I just couldn't accept that because first of all, he didn't know how I felt inside. He didn't know the two goals that I had set for myself. And uh, I don't even think he knew, you know, the type of hockey player I was. I was just a patient of his. And uh, I just said to myself, well, I'm just going to prove this doctor wrong. I'm going to continue playing and I'm going to, set the two goals for myself and work towards, work towards them. You know, um, having confidence uh, within yourself is big. You, you have to, you have to think strong and, and uh, work hard. There's, there's no substitute for hard work. And anybody tells you there is, there is, there, there's not. You, you only get out of the thing what you put into it. You go out and work 80% and uh, um, you should pat yourself on the back. But if you go out and work 40% and think you should uh, have 80%, you've got a problem. So with all the initiatives that you've started, and we've seen an expansion of those in recent years, particularly, I feel, following the, following the pandemic, could, could you comment on what gives you sort of hope for the future, the future of hockey? Um, well, the diversity program has, has been – it started with five programs. And then now we're we're going to um, you know approximately forty, and um, it's still growing. There's still kids out there that want to play hockey, and uh, unfortunately, some of these kids uh, don't live close to a rink, and uh, they have to be 
you know, picked up and driven to the rink to practice or play. But um, it's getting it's getting better. It's getting it's getting easier. Um, there there are more um, people out there that want to devote their time to help these boys and girls. And um, um, yeah. So what? So what gives you I hope? What gives you hope? <laughs> what gives me hope? Yeah. Just seeing just seeing these boys and girls uh, on the ice and and playing. You know. Commissioner Bettman, uh, you know, um, has said, you know, that uh, that that hockey is for everyone, and uh, we won't turn any boy or girl away. If they want to play hockey and they keep their grades up, we'll make it. We'll make it possible for them to to practice and, and play. And basically, that's about all. All you can all you can accept. Then you have to take it upon yourself, you know, um, in those. They'll have those players that will come out and they'll work uh, 100 or 110 percent, and you'll have come out and maybe work 60 percent. But um, you've got to take it upon yourself what you want to do, and uh, and, and particularly and, in the last uh, the last number of, of uh, decades, you no doubt have seen an expansion of the hockey fan and engagement in California. I mean, there there wasn't that there was an NHL team before, and now there's three or four in the state. Well, Wayne uh, Wayne Gretzky changed that all when he came, you know, when he came to play yeah. uh, for the Kings. I mean, uh, hockey, hockey is just mushroomed um, after that. Um, and uh, in, in Southern California, around the Anaheim area, um, it, it's big in, uh, in street hockey and uh, um, hockey hockey in the schools. They've got their they've got these street hockey schools now at uh, at a lot of the uh, elementary. Uh, schools and middle schools where the kids can come. Yeah. You just, you just must marvel at the change from when you were there playing in 1970. Oh, now exactly. it's just uh, yes. dramatic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the, the last uh, thing I'll ask you, you've alluded it before uh, Mr. O'Ree, but could you comment on um, what advice you'd give for a young hockey player today? The advice I'd give is to set goals for yourself. And work towards your goals. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't attain your goals. As I said, um, if you feel strongly within your heart, within your mind, then work at it. I don't know what else to tell you. You know, I, I, I'm only going by um, things that I, that I, uh, that I grew up with, and then, and then I just made my mind up what I wanted to do, and uh, I just kept working at it staying focused and, um, and working hard. Well, it's extremely uh, wise advice. And I just ad admire how much you have uh, paid forward everything that was given to you, Mr. O'Ree, over your lifetime. And uh, you've paid for it to, to all of us, um, whether we're uh, in the NHL or not, just um, anyone who enjoys hockey has really been inspired by your story and your work. So I just c commend you and, Thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Um, and I wish you all the best. Oh, you're welcome, man. My, my pleasure. You know, as I mentioned, I've been blessed over the years, you know, uh, you know, not only uh, getting into the Hall of Fame, but the, um, the work with Brian McBride on a, on a documentary and then, and then a book. And the um, uh, I have a coin, um, a mint coin with my uh, likeness on the front and the Queen Elizabeth on the, on the back that is the moat. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a beer uh, company, I believe in, in Detroit, Michigan, um, that's come up with a, come up with a beer. Um, there's going to be a commemorative stamp uh, by the uh, Canadian postal. That's going to be, going to be coming out. So there's just so many wonderful things that have happened to me. And I mean, you know, when I was growing up and said, Willie, what do you think is going to happen to you? I mean, 20, 30 years from now, I just couldn't, have, <laughs> I just couldn't say because uh, things happen and, uh, and I'm, I'm so, I'm so blessed. Yes. If you have, uh, if you have um, dreams, you know, if you stick with those dreams and uh, they can be realized and you certainly have uh, fulfilled the goals that you've set out and, and, uh, and the, uh, the more recent years in terms of the influence you've had with the 
the game of hockey has been so so influential. Oh yeah, I think it's the greatest sport on earth. I mean, I'm I'm prejudiced, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Not only playing it, yeah. but watching, but watching it, and then see the expression on these boys and girls' faces. You know, it's just, it's 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 inspiring. Yeah. So even more reason for the game just to continue to expand and be experienced by, by so many people, not only in Canada, U.S., but throughout the world. Here, here. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey by lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity-deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast, and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out HockeyEquality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.